All right, we are back. The drop zone is back. Dylan DeChair is back. Sean Zock is back. You may have noticed that we uh, haven't published a podcast yet in 2020. And as disheartening as that was, we're happy to be back. We have a bunch to get to today. We have a lot of planned for 2020. First, Dylan, Clemson and LSU play tonight. Oh. Which school has more major championships? Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know. I am not prepared for this. Clemson. Trick question. They are tied with one major championship each. Who won those majors? You're killing me. Uh, Jonathan Bird is the only Clemson golfer I can think of right now. Lucas Glover won the 2009 U.S. Open. He sure did. He went to Clemson. David Toms didn't win a major, did David he? Toms did he win won the a major? 2001 PGA Championship. God, I'm on blast already. 2020, uh, off wh- to a rough start. Yeah, which school has had a more recent individual national champion? In golf? In golf. <laughs> uh, LSU. Yep. Who won it? Mm. Enlighten me. Your boy, John Peterson. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Now no amateur? Playing, no longer playing uh, pro golf. Do we have the word on his amateur status yet? No, no. I don't, it's kind of like forever gray area, mm-hmm. John Peterson's prone amateur status. But big game tonight. Carrying on. We played some January golf. We did. Unseasonably warm temperatures, as they say. Yeah. Record-breaking. It was 69 degrees in Central Park yesterday. This is the first time I played January golf. Nice north, temperature for some golf. North of the Mason-Dixon. Is that right? Yeah. Never wow. played January golf before. Well, sign of the times. You played on Saturday. How'd the game feel? The game? Mm, I've never driven the ball better. I've never scored worse when driving the ball well. Mm. So we're, we're in the middle of something right now. But, you know, George Gankus gave me a tip in November. I hadn't really been able to do anything about it until now. So we're working through some things. How about your game, though? Oh, all right. Oh, if you insist. Uh, honestly, it takes a little while to knock the rust off. I did. Uh, I drove up to upstate New York yesterday, had to drop off a car, came back down. So I'd been like sitting for a few hours and then got out at Split Rock, old public course. Mm-hmm. It was jam-packed. Mm-hmm. People were jonesing to get out on the golf course, you could tell. You asked me to go so play with you scene. during the Packers game. I know. That was rude. That was Congratulations, by the way. Anyway, it was sunny, windy, difficult conditions. It took me like nine holes to really get warmed up mm-hmm. and then it was dark i had some minor like golf course design enlightenment this weekend oh yeah so i've played at stanwich a number of times now in the past 12 months not to brag not to brag uh it's it's a really really fun place and it's gotten easier over the years it used to be like really really hard like one of the toughest clubs probably in the northeast has it changed or have it has changed? changed yes the first hole used to be like trees lined everywhere mm-hmm. and they took out a bunch of trees made it a lot easier it's it's relatively an easy par four now they also made a bunch of different changes on the green so basically in the last two years it's been cool to see a club take what its members want and put it into action Mm -hmm. and not require some gigantic like earth changing redesign they changed i think five greens and they changed that first hole two years ago a little more playable now over the past year they took a number of runoff areas and just kind of shallowed them out a little bit. Some of them were like really tough. And from what I heard, a number of members were like, you know, this is a little bit too tough, mm-hmm. which is great to see what members want. Like that's the essence of private uh, exclusive country club golf is like 
we are the members and we kind of want a course to play this way or that way. Can you do something about it? And mm -hmm. they're actually doing something about it. That was cool to see. Interesting. I feel like with members, it cuts two different ways, right? Yeah, Some tough. guys just want to make it hard, hard, mm -hmm. hard. They want guys to come into their course, speed up the greens, shoot a hundred. Sure. But if you're actually playing it day to day, yeah. and it seems like judging from how, how many people were there on Saturday, mm -hmm. it seems like it's pretty dedicated. That's one playing of the things. Membership. I mean, you just have to try to, to appease as many people as possible. Let's keep moving to the Sony Open. We will talk about a lot of this because a lot of things happened yesterday. Cam Smith won in a playoff over Brendan Steele. This comes exactly six days after I said it was impossible that Cam mm -hmm. Smith would become the top-ranked Aussie. I feel a little bit worse about that prediction now. You think he like printed out Tour Confidential <laughs> this week and just like taped it to the inside of his locker? Well, he was ranked 54th in the world. Adam Scott played great golf in the fall. He's now ranked 13th. Cam Smith is ranked 31st. So there's 18 spots between the two. And it's very plausible that Cam Smith could be the top-ranked Aussie at the end of this year. I mean, this is his first ever individual win. Yeah. He won the Zurich a few years ago with Jonas Blixt as his partner. I, I mean, this looked like it was going to be kind of a ho-hum finish. Didn't look like we were going to have much to tune in for on Sunday. Uh, Brendan Steele had a half-plugged lie. Yeah, that was an incredible nine, shot. And chipped it in, yeah. pulled it out. They were talking about, oh, this could be a big swing. He could make four <laughs> or worse. Dan Hicks said that this would be on the highlight reel for the rest of Brendan Steele's career. He wow. basically said he's going to win this tournament. It's going to be because of this shot, and he will be thinking about this shot for the rest of his career. I think that might have been an overstatement. Well, so that was on number 11. Yeah. Uh, he did not make a putt, as far as I could tell, the rest of the way home. <laughs> Made two bogeys, bogeyed the first playoff hole, but there was a lot of drama on number 18. Yeah. Well, why? Because guys were themselves. Mm. Webb Simpson blocks his tee shot to the right. He can't make birdie. Ryan Palmer blocks his tee shot to the right. He's in the fairway bunker. Yeah. Well, Full before set. we move on from that, my favorite moment of the entire golf tournament was Webb Simpson waiting for the green to clear from 297 yards away. What Webb earth? Simpson has never hit a golf ball 297 <laughs> yards. He was in the rough, the wet, wet rough. It was kind of getting cool, rainy. <laughs> he, he ends up topping three wood, yeah. and it skips on down the fairway. And then he leaves his birdie putt short guys to get were, into a playoff. Like, that's the easiest hole in the golf course. And guys were breaking down at the end. Yeah. You love to see that. I mean, he was averaging like a 4.4 for the day, and that must have gone way up in these last couple of groups. Yeah, totally. One of, the, one of the people that sent it up, Ryan Palmer, mm -hmm. because he went full send. He mm -hmm. was in the fairway bunker right, said, hey, I got to make birdie to get involved in trying to win this tournament because at the time, Brendan Steele was 12 under par, two strokes better. Ryan Palmer, full send, three wood. Full, full, full send. Hits off the video board, mm -hmm. and we don't even know where it is right now. He no. lost the golf ball. Let's start at the beginning. You're caddying for me. No We're 284 way. out. Are you hitting this shot? One shot back. Do you let me pull three wood out of that bunker? <laughs> the scary thing is I don't feel a lot of confidence with your three iron from, mm. from that spot. I would mm -hmm. probably give you five iron and say, Whoa. hey, try and hit this 170 yards and then have a, a full pitching wedge in. I mean, for a, an absolute PGA Tour pro, you'd think he could hit a shot 200 yards mm -hmm. and then have a wedge in to 18 mm -hmm. and try to get up and down from a wedge distance. What is he actually going to do with a three-wood? 
Let's say he hits the perfect shot. Well, he basically did hit the perfect shot his no, second <laughs> time around. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he and was he, still short. He was still short. Although, so granted, like, he got up and down. But What are you trying to do with that three-wood? You're trying to get in like a 50-yard circle? Yeah, 40 yards away, maybe. Hindsight is on our side here because he fanned it, lost his golf ball. Webb Simpson was looking in someone's mm-hmm. swimming pool area. <laughs> like the cursory, like... I'm going to help you out and yeah. see if you can find this thing. Morikawa was over there, too. They were they were clearly just looking. Obviously, the ball was not going to be there. There were no, like, bushes it could be hiding in. There were just a bunch of, like, trailers. All right, so to s- two more points on that. Hit a provisional, Ryan Palmer. Hit a provisional. You're in the second-to-last group. You guys are already waiting. You've got guys squeegeeing the greens. Everyone is waiting. You hit the ball off a scoreboard or a, a video board, you have no idea where it's going, hit another ball. You know who like very quickly captured the essence of what was happening there? It was no laying up. Chris Solomon tweeted out, I think you're a little bit do- too dependent on people finding your golf ball, the grandstands taking care of things, mm. if you don't hit a provisional from that spot. If you hit a ball off the freaking video scoreboard and you have no idea where it is, you're just depending on the people mm-hmm. surrounding the 18th hole that, yeah, someone's going to find it. Maybe that was that's part co- of his thought weird. process, even hitting three wood from there, was, oh, we've got this amphitheater. Yes, exactly. We'll get to that, though. My last thought was just, who's going to find Ryan Palmer's ball, right? Presumably at some point yeah. in the cleanup process, this is going to end up somewhere. Yeah. I was thinking about that last night. I wonder, if it, is, is it in someone's yard? Is it in the tent? In the video board, it's got to be in those hedges that Webb Simpson was kind of casually not really <laughs> giving too much yeah. attention to. Webb was just kind of like, "Well, I've got another twenty minutes left in this golf tournament, and I need to act like I'm going to use those twenty minutes to help my playing partner out." Right. Credit to Golf Channel. Hedges. Credit to Golf Channel, though, for capturing on the uh, his drive back, which is like the worst feeling in golf. Yeah. His driving back and then having to reload where you just hit the ball. Ob, you have to go hit that exact same scary shot and they they showed the angle was from behind cam smith and brendan Steele, and they're both just kind of you know glaring at palmer essentially as I he drives the back was to the bunker great. they did a nice Prime job. time like playoff golf one thing that they captured paul azinger said you know if he drops it in this bunker he's it's probably gonna plug mm. and so he went up he took his club length from where he last hit the ball, mm-hmm. and he went up as much as he could on what would be the proverbial hill onto the slope on the slope of that bunker, and dropped it into the slope so that it would actually roll out back to basically where he hit his last shot from. So that was brilliant. The fact that they were counting how many seconds and minutes Brendan Steele had between shots—it was over 15 minutes between his drive and his approach shot. That was brilliant golf TV. Mm-hmm. They don't get enough credit for sometimes nailing things because I think we always tend to hate on Golf Channel and the broadcast. They nailed that. All right, so Ryan Palmer self-sabotaged. Yes. Cost himself mm, close to a million dollars if he'd gotten into that playoff. And that wasn't one. even the worst shot on 18. Also sabotaged Brendan Steele. Can you imagine? You know what? The best part about some of these broadcasts in 2020 is that we are seeing more and more and more shot tracer. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. We get it on the third hole, the first hole, the 18th hole. We get it everywhere. And without it, we're, we're pretty much blind. You're pretty much blind to what's happening. Yeah. And so they they pulled that Pro Tracer camera behind Steele, and he pull hook, hard hooks one. 
so far left. It's not even on the same hole. It's it hits, I think, maybe off the tenths left of the 18 green. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he got bailed out because of it. Well, so let's first just dive into the psyche of Brendan Steele for a second, mm-hmm. right? The guy has been he's he was the worst putter on Sunday in the entire <laughs> field, first of all. Lost almost four strokes to the field. That's putting. so bad. He just kind of whiffed a six footer. For the viewers at home, 17. that's horrendous. Yeah, it's very bad. Just whiffed a six-footer on, on 17 for par. Mm-hmm. Actually hit a really clutch tee shot on 18 and then waited for 16 minutes or whatever it was. And then here, I'll, here's a quote from him afterwards. Because, you know, guys are normally like, oh, you know, I just blocked out whatever else was going on around me, wasn't paying attention. He said when he was waiting in the fairway, he said, I was watching Ryan Palmer and trying to figure out what he was doing. I was trying to figure out where he could have possibly hit it. And then I was thinking, oh, he hit it out of bounds right I was wow. like, well, well, we don't want to do that. Oh. So that wasn't positive at all. That's sad. And you know what he did? He did not hit it right because he hit it 100 <laughs> yards left. That's sad that he was thinking about that, but can you blame him? No. You can't blame him for that. The guy has not won in a long time. He's struggled mightily. He dropped outside of the top what, 400 in the world. Mm-hmm. 39 starts without a top 10. And he's kind of been controlling the tournament for the last like 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Pull hook, hard hooks, one left. Then what happens? And like I said, he kind of got bailed out because he gets over to his golf ball. There's probably like, I don't know, 60 to 80 yards between his ball and the green, the hole. And there's these grandstand tents right in front of him. So he gets relief via TIO. And for everyone listening at home, that is temporary immovable obstruction. He got great relief from it. Chips on, misses a putt makes his par, goes to a playoff. He should have never had as good of a look as he had. I think he would have struggled to make par from where his ball originally lied, but basically got a layup to to make a par because of what is kind of a crappy rule. Well, this has been an issue, and and there's been more of a groundswell of complaints over the last couple years. I mean, the first time I remember seeing it was just around the – Tour Championships, 18th hole, when they used to finish on the par three, <laughs> long par three, you know, 230 yards or At something. Lake, and yeah. you could just fire hybrid into yeah. the grandstands around mm-hmm. and get an easy drop, get up and down, make four at worst. Yep. Um, but what's the solution? I don't know what okay. the easy solution is. Yeah. You're, you're bringing up an issue. I want you to tell me what we should so do with about like it. all things in golf, you know, the rule book is important and we need it for tournament golf and you you can't have gray area but this unfortunately has a lot of gray area the solution is to get a hold every single hole at every single event you need to get an idea of what is a normal miss and what is an abnormal miss because what Steele had was an abnormal miss and you should not be rewarded in any fashion when you hit as bad of a shot as he hit now let's say that the grandstands are like 10 feet out behind the hole or behind the green and you hit it two paces too long and it bangs up against the grandstands. Mm -hmm. That sucks. You should be able to get a a free relief drop from that because you can't make a backswing. But if you put a, a, a 250 yard hard hook pull hook left and you've still got 80 yards to go, you should not be rewarded with free relief. I think if you use Mark Brody, use shot tracker, every 72nd hole should have an idea of where 95% of the shots end. If it is outside of that 95, if it is the 5% worst shots that ever come into this golf hole, Mm -hmm. 
and what would normally be temporary movable obstruction in your way, you should not get free relief. You'd be like, I'm sorry, that's an abnormal miss. You need to take a penalty. We'll give you this relief that you normally have, but there's a penalty going on with you. So the stands, a certain part of the stands become a hazard in some sense? Yeah. Or what it force Brendan, force him to hit around it, hit over it. You hit so bad of a shot, so bad. Yeah. That you have to bail yourself out from it. Mm-hmm. Like, can you actually imagine if those stands weren't there? The, the thought process he needs to have, it's like, do I go under these trees? Do I try to go over these trees? Mm-hmm. That green is only so far or so wide. Where do I land this on this green? I have to carry it over a bunker from there. Like, if I leave it short in the rough, can I even get up and down for par? Do I completely blow this tournament? Because he deserved to blow the tournament after his approach shot. Wow. Well, maybe karma came around in the end. Here. I do think karma came around. And I, I understand that like you can poke holes in this solution. Yeah. Not every 70-second hole is the same. But we saw this happen with Bryson at the Safeway in the fall. Like It happens actually quite frequently. It's something that the PGA Tour, the European Tour, the LPGA Tour, everybody runs into it in pro mm-hmm. golf. I don't know. I think that is an instance where the PGA Tour would create a local rule. It doesn't have to change the USGA's rule book. Local rule from the PGA Tour can hand out some penalties. Well, I did love the Open Championship last year. Had those gnarly drop yeah. zones yeah. right around the green. Shout out drop zone. So maybe that's the thing. So maybe that could you be... create a drop zone for anything outside of those, like the reasonable misses mm-hmm. and that's a crappy place to hit from like you have to put up with crap when you hit crap shots i don't know i don't know exactly how to incorporate this but i was you know we were watching a lot of football this weekend and then i was thinking you know what if there were some kind of challenges i was watching cam smith yeah, he was watch brendan Steele take this drop it's like man if there was a way that he could i thought maybe he was gonna say something like this seems fundamentally wrong yeah Instead, that would not have been the place to say it. No, it would not have been the place. But <laughs> if, you he, imagine? if he could have thrown his challenge flag, take a little red flag out of his sock, send it up to... I don't what would know, he be challenging? He, I don't know. Yeah. Unfair. Drop. The golf gods? <laughs> yeah. Send it back to New York. Ironically, uh, the fact that Cam Smith also kind of crapped his pants on the playoff hole and blew his drive way right, mm-hmm. that actually helped him not hit a spinny shot into the 10th hole. Like He hit a phenomenal shot. Whoa but he wasn't spinning. They showed it on golf channel afterwards that if you were hitting a a wedge from the fairway into that hole, like Mm -hmm. Brendan Todd was, it's really hard to pick your spot because there's so much Brendan Steele, so much spin on the approaches. It's either ripping away from the hole or it's kicking over. Yeah. I mean, look, we see this in golden tee all the time. Mm -hmm. You get these greens that are coming, coming back at you. Seven. Maybe you're into the wind. It's a little soft. You you can't throw backspin on that thing. You got to come in low uh, Brendan Steele did not hit the right shot. No, he said afterwards he hit. He said he hit a very good shot, but it was just the wrong shot, which I don't think adds up. That is some PGA Tour talk. I've never <laughs> heard some. Um, let's move on to the other topic of the weekend: Tiger Woods' son, his second child, mm. Charlie Woods. Or is it the other story of the weekend, Sean? It might be the story of the weekend. Is it safe to talk about Charlie Woods on this podcast? Can we do that? I think we're talking about whether it's safe to talk about it. So what happened? It's pretty simple, really. Tiger Woods' son, Charlie, I think he's 10 years old. He's 10 years old. Yeah. He has, you know, reportedly for a long time had a money 
golf swing, golf game. And he talks some trash. You know, we've heard Justin Thomas say, yeah. oh, he challenges him to putting contests, stuff like that. But Tiger's always downplayed it. Said, oh, you know, he's into soccer, he's into other sports. And yeah. Tiger seems pretty happy about that. Yeah. Like, we don't know behind the scenes. Maybe Tiger is a, a super intense, you know, making him hit range balls and stuff. But that has not been the uh, the outside impression that I've gotten. Okay. So, Charlie Woods tees it up in a nine-hole tournament round junior on Saturday. Event. Junior. A junior event, U.S. Kids Golf at uh, Club Med in Jupiter. Okay. Part of the Stewart golf series um and who's there caddying for him but papa papa woods tiger daddy so he's on the bag and uh we didn't get like a ton of content from this but there was one swing video recorded by the course that was hosting the tournament this club med facility records a video of tiger looking on while Charlie hits a range ball warming up. Yeah, but there's some context to that. This video was taken from distance. It was like zoomed in on, definitely from a phone. And it was like kind of, it looked like it was from the trees. Mm. It's like probably like 80 yards away from Tiger and Charlie. 80 yards <clears throat> seems excessive. Okay, but 50 yards. It doesn't yeah. matter. Anything over Could have been an iPhone 4. So, yeah, I mean, some people were saying, oh, this was shot from the bushes. I don't buy that. I think it was probably shot from like the practice putting green. They just like. You probably, if you're running a junior golf tournament and Tiger Woods is caddying there, you probably aren't getting super like close and chummy. The bottom line here is that there was outrage. Well, you shared the you shared the mm-hmm. the video online. Golf.com shared the video online. A number of people in golf media shared the video on Twitter with their own little commentary. First, there was not outrage. There was rejoicing. There was <laughs> curiosity, and everyone's reaction was basically, "Oh my God." this kid has an awesome phenomenal golf swing yeah he does he does it's it's sweet it is a very good golf swing that for moment a of compression is great i mean there are lots of 10 year olds with great golf swings. yes but to see charlie woods puring a golf ball in front of his father is really fun yeah that's pretty much that is something in golf that we have not seen ever from the most popular golf player mm-hmm. in history so that was pretty much my thought process on Saturday night. Taken when at I saw that, this. it's taken at that. It's it's probably fine. Now, people online were mad because we don't want to have to put pressure of eighteen major championships on mm-hmm. Charlie Woods and any major championships of PGA Tour golf of anything on Charlie Woods. He's ten years old. He needs to live. You know, let him do whatever he wants to do. Don't put expectations on him, mm-hmm. which I think is fair. The drop zone will say. It's probably fine that we don't put expectations on top of Charlie. Yes. But is it so wrong to discuss him? Is it okay? Is he off limits? If he won the tournament, we'd probably talk about that. Charlie yeah. Woods wins junior event. He's really good. If he took last in the tournament, I think that's probably unfair to talk about it. If he hits a shank on that driving range shot instead of a pure nine mm. iron wherever he hit, yeah. it's probably unfair to make fun of him, right? Definitely. Like, like there's a lot of things that can go either way here based off of what happened. And the reality is we were just taking the context from what we were given. Mm-hmm. His dad's caddying for him. The greatest golfer of all time is looping for his son. His son's got a great swing. Can we not comment on that? I think it's just harmless and it's fun. And also we had just never seen it before. You know, this is yeah. a curiosity. 
people got really excited. And for the most part, the reaction was very positive. But look, I do understand. I understand the the backlash that, you know, Tiger himself probably got a little bit screwed up by getting so much attention at such a young age. And he's done a pretty intentional job of keeping his own kids out of that same spotlight. And he's done pretty well at it. You know, he's not bringing Charlie on TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one thing that we need to remember is that potentially this outrage, like the initial rejoice and then the outrage that followed was probably okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that will be a net positive is that anyone who shared it uh, probably learned that you need to probably approach future situations lightly. Like mm-hmm. you need to. I had a moment uh, of reflection myself. Like, okay, was this an okay thing to really be putting out into the world? Yeah. And I think, yes, because it's the first swing we've seen. It's just a fun swing. It's We're celebrating it. You know, look, I do I expect him to win an 18 major championships? No, I don't expect him to win any major championships. Would it have been different if Annika Sorenstam's youngest did this? That's the thing. It's it's more of a it's reflection of... It's a Tiger of, thing. It is a reflection a of like thing. Tiger and the world we live in, what it means to go viral. It's probably all a little bit unhealthy. But that same environment also means that we're going to move on from this yes. like very, very quickly. Sure. We're not sending reporters to Charlie Woods's junior <laughs> golf tournaments. No. Um, you know, we're not going to take paparazzi photos. None of that. That would all be weird. I hope for his sake that he can just sort of do his thing quietly. Obviously, there will be attention paid to, you know, whenever he tees it up. But I hope that he can just play golf for a few years, have fun with it. He's obviously got great game. Mm-hmm. He played the next day and shot even par. Um mm. In another nine-hole event. Do you think he's going to win a couple majors? I think he's going to win a couple U.S. Kids Stewart Junior Golf Series majors <laughs> probably down the road. Although it's competitive. Man, yeah, those dude. scores. Can you imagine? You grew up in Massachusetts just banging against these kids in the country woods. Like, you probably dominated junior golf. I didn't even play a golf tournament until I was like 14. We never heard but of can, But can you imagine the competition in oh, like yeah. southern Florida compared Charlie to what you woods, were up against? Charlie Woods at age 10 right now would have started, I would say for every high school (laughs) golf team in my County. How about that? Good. All right. Let's move on to our final bit of the day. Um, It is a segment called underrated, overrated, properly rated. We did this a couple months ago and every couple months we're going to do it because what else are we going to do? We need to rate things. Cue the music. My first one for you. Pete Dye passed away last week, 94 years old. Very, very well-known, famous course designer. Is he, as a course designer, underrated, overrated, or properly rated? Look, Pete Dye is, if anything, underrated. I would not have told you this, sadly, before he died, because it took me looking back through his list of course credits to really see the impact he's had, and also looking back through like just the legacy he had on the PGA Tour, TPC Sawgrass, certainly not my favorite course on tour, mm-hmm. but the uh, the way he built it and the way he responded to pros hating it at first was pretty fun, pretty awesome. And it's a different, look, it's a different style of golf course, but in this era, we see so much coddling of PGA Tour players from basically every mm-hmm. stakeholder in the game. But when guys told him that they didn't like his course, he said, good. 
He said, you know, these designs should challenge people. They should make people think not everyone should like it. Anyway, I've had a ton of good experiences on Pete Dye golf courses. My favorite, the honors course in Tennessee. Um, I know he's become near and dear to your Wisconsin <laughs> heart as yeah, well. Totally. I've played whistling two and a half times whistling straights. Uh, he designed all four courses, all four Kohler courses. So they have this package. You sign up and you play all of them. It's called the Diabolical Package, uh, which is pretty cool. I've played Black Wolf Run. That that was the linchpin of of creating Wisconsin as a public golf destination. Everything that has be, that is manifested in Wisconsin as far as public resort golf starts with Pete Dye designing those golf courses. Mm-hmm. He's you get Aaron Hills a number of years later. You have Sand Valley now. There's the Century courses. It's crazy. Like Wisconsin is a golf place in the same way that South Carolina is now. And Pete Dye making those courses very tough, very fun to watch on television. They're very expensive, but they're very much an experience that you should have if you're mm-hmm. if you're an avid golfer. That that's that's him. Like I will say this though, I think he's properly rated because he's mm-hmm. not going to go down as one of the greatest. Like Michael Bamberger made this point 30 years from now, you will not be talking about Pete Dye courses. Mm-hmm. Like having staying power, so to say. Interesting. Like the Kiowa course, the ocean course is incredibly tough and you have to pay a lot of money to play it. Same with Whistling Straits. TPC Sawgrass costs a lot of money to play it. Like he has made these experiences that are like kind of like one off experiences, not necessarily your home club that you want to play every single week. You. You also kind of don't like stumble upon Pete Dye courses no. in the way like you might stumble upon like a Seth Rayner course in the Northeast somewhere and be like, wow, he designed this. Yeah. This, is, this is Donald really Ross. Like this. Yeah. You can't, you know, you don't jump in the you don't stumble upon Donald Ross Pete, course. Yeah. You don't, you don't happen upon Pete Dye courses. A couple quotes for you. I, I put this in tour confidential, but when uh, TPC Sawgrass opened in the early eighties, JC Sneed, he was a solid tour player at the time. Mm. He said the course was 90% horse manure and 10% luck. Mm. That was pretty good, I thought. Tom Weisskopf. It's like being in a, inside a great big pinball machine. That doesn't sound like an endorsement. No, those were not endorsements. It was a fun golf course. It continues to be a fun golf course to watch. It, it creates a phenomenal tournament. I will tell you that. Like Every single year, the players had, like, kind of regardless of what the weather is, the champion is like 12 under to 16 under Rory won at 16 last year. Like Jim Furyk was chasing him. The fact that Jim Furyk and Rory McIlroy can duke it out. And like, you don't really know who's going to win on the back mm-hmm. nine of a, of a tournament. Yeah. That kind of tells me that's a good championship golf course. All right. Primetime golf, Sean, mm-hmm. we've been seeing the Hawaiian golf swing here. We've been, we've seen playoffs the last two weeks. Tournaments finishing at like 11 PM. Mm. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. It's going to be underrated because uh, right now we we like we appreciate it, but it could be even we could have even more of it. Mm-hmm. The NFL playoffs take away a lot of the golf's viewers <laughs> during this time of year. They're going to do it this coming weekend, uh, and definitely during the Super Bowl weekend. Like, I feel like golf is trying to fit in the cracks, and this is the perfect time of year to just like fit in after football. Mm-hmm. So it's it's underrated for sure. All right, would you like to see more West Coast tournaments? I mean, like last night, I was like, this is awesome. This morning, battling my way onto the subway to come in, record the pod on just a few hours of sleep. 
I think we have the perfect number of primetime golf tournaments. However, we should aim to have many more primetime major tournaments. Oh. Like, if you think about the four majors, a lot of them take place on east of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. We had Pebble last year. We got TPC Harding Park this year. We had Chambers a couple years ago. Like, Chambers. once in a while, Olympic Club gets one. L.A. Country Club is going to get one in a couple years. But everything's happening really out here. Yeah. You get the courses in Wisconsin have hosted majors. That's east of the Mississippi. You got Kiowa. You got, you know, we're not going to talk about the players as a major, but the players is a big-time golf tournament. Mm-hmm. Everything in New York between Wingfoot and Bethpage and Shinnecock and Oakmont, like everything when it comes to majors is done before 5 or 6 o'clock. Yeah. The Sony Open was a tasty little dessert after a day filled with NFL. And, yeah. and I didn't get the sense there was a lot of juice to the tournament. But it was still nice to have. It got we're, juicy late. We're a pro uh, Chambers Bay podcast, so yes. I think we're all rooting for another major there. All right. John Taffer. Is he overrated, underrated, or properly rated as a golf course management consultant? Wow. Sean, I'm so glad you asked. I happened to do a long, 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 you know, you edited it, Q&A with John Taffer, who's a, uh, what is he? He's a hospitality expert. He's I don't a, know who he's he is. A, bar scientist. <laughs> He's the host of Bar Rescue. Uh, I had a lengthy phone call with John Taffer. He he gave some insights. He's probably overrated. Yes. If we're being real. I, I can say both of these things. I really enjoyed talking to him. I thought he had some fun ideas. Are they gospel? Maybe not. But it was it was fun to talk to him because he's generally outside the golf world these days Mm -hmm. he started early in his career and you know as as a golf guy but his ideas were largely based around uh how you make more revenue at a country club from each person every member Mm -hmm. every guest every single person that's visiting the club that day he wants to take more money from them monetize now granted should he be faulted for that like that type of generic mindset more money more money more money more money Mm -hmm. so you know i can see why he might be championed for that. However, if we, if you are a member, if, if drop zone is members at winged foot mm-hmm. and we show up there and John Taffer is running winged foot and John Taffer is trying to get us to buy something before our round, something during our round, something after our round, have dinner at the club. John, I don't got that kind of money to always be giving it to you every time I come here. That's what he wants. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. I guess to push back a little bit on that though, I, th- I think his point is that you are creating an experience, you know, at the golf course. You want people to go have a good time, stay around for a snack, a beer or two. Maybe a seltzer. Maybe a John Taffer seltzer, which he effectively plugged a couple times. Um, so I think that that mindset is a correct one. And golf courses do need to be thinking, you know. What other things can they be offered? Yeah, a little bit everywhere. more of a revenue mindset. A lot of the time people want that. They don't even know that they want it he was he was talking about offering a you know four pack of drinks when you call for your tea time something like that people might have a good time with that and they just don't even know that they want it so i think some of his ideas were good but so you're the making, only reason you're i making s- golf more expensive john the only reason i said it's it was overrated is because people loved it so much people love john taffer that was one of my takeaways here uh and i think he hit on some stuff but it was probably a little bit reductionist didn't have a super nitty gritty understanding of the modern golf world. 
the country club, you know, like the six martini country club day is a little bit outdated. Playoff finishes, Sean. This is somewhat related to primetime golf in that it extends the golf tournament later into our night. But we've seen two playoff finishes to start the year. There's a lot of mayhem around these tournaments. Do you think the playoffs themselves, when you go to extra holes, overrated, underrated, properly? Underrated. Every single time that someone is coming up the 18th hole with a lead, the 72nd hole of a tournament, I'm cheering against them to win, Mm. generally speaking. Mm -hmm. I want what happened to Brendan Steele to happen because chaos is fun, and you want golf to have one-on-one. A bunch of other sports have like these one-on-one scenarios where someone in the bottom of the ninth has two runners on, and it's either to win or you blow the save and it's game over. Or a number of things in in basketball have one-on-one scenarios. Golf can have that all the time. It can happen everywhere. And I'm cheering for it constantly. So it's underrated. Fun stuff happens. You, you actually feel emotions in those times. You actually feel something. <laughs> I don't feel anything. You're dead when into Brendan, when the Brendan, rest of your life. When Brendan Steele wins by two, I'm like, ah, cool. Yeah. Good for him. But when Cam Smith battles back and has a little bit of karma on his side, mm-hmm. wins his first individual event on the PGA Tour blossoming star from australia winning donating money back home emotions yeah give it to me maybe it was really just yesterday's playoff that turned out to be kind of a bummer what was a bummer about it well you know look brendan steals airmails a wedge hits a bad chip nerves nerves are good johnny and then cam smith two putts from eight feet to win i think you're wrong I'm not saying that I look and I completely agree. I'm always rooting for a playoff. It's just that once we actually get to the playoff, it can actually start to feel like a little anticlimactic. You go play the same hole and then maybe you play the same hole again and you play that, you know, there can be some of this like par matching or just someone makes bogey and that kind of wraps things up. The excitement for me is at its peak when people are coming down the 18th hole in regulation to tie like Brendan Steele was yesterday. Playoffs, sometimes great, sometimes a little bit anticlimactic. Sure. All right, my last one. This is a fun one. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. The golf club as a weapon. Whoa. <laughs> Which can be used for protection, you know. I mean. A security device. The, the reason I bring yeah. it up is because there is a headline down in Lafayette, New Orleans. People are getting a little rowdy before the national championship mm-hmm. game. Man slings golf club at driver in apparent road rage incident. I'm glad you saw this video also. The video is I good. Know exactly Things what you're are crazy. About. Basically, I think the golf club as a means of protection is underrated. In the video in question, a guy is basically mad at another driver. So he gets out of his car with a driver, the golf club driver. No, it's an iron. Oh, it's an iron. Yeah. Oh, it's probably smarter, you know, steel shaft. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the other car whips around the corner, he just slings the golf club at the driver's side door yep. as hard as he can. I mean, in this case, probably not a great use of the weapon. I've never seen that before as a move. I think that you are speaking to exactly why it's underrated. You oh. can sling a golf club. You can't sling yeah. a baseball bat quite as much or any other type of I mean, the windshield would have been a much more dramatic you know, spot to hit. Mm-hmm. I'm glad for everyone's safety that he did not use it that way. But I think where golf clubs really get scary are like pool cues when they're broken in half. Oh, they get jagged. 
I, I played with this guy. His name's Ed from New Hampshire. I used to play on the mini tours with him. Guy got stabbed with a broken golf club by his roommate. <laughs> what? Almost died. Legendary story. This is the kind of stuff you run into at the New Hampshire Open. This is but, also the kind of stuff that you run into when you do deep searches for just the word golf. Mm-hmm. A lot of Google. Google news fourth, alerts. The fourth page of the golf Google search is wild, and you get things like this. Out of Lafayette, Louisiana. There are so many golf clubs, not like courses, but f- golf clubs in Florida and also so much wild stuff that happens in Florida that there's always news stories popping out from Florida about golf, golf clubs. club violence. Probably underrated. I don't think the general public would think about golf clubs as a uh, that's the point as a weapon as often as it really comes up. So I would say underrated. Um, all right, there's been a lot of talk about one particular golfer who's probably dominated more headlines than anyone in the last couple months. Bryson Pat- Patrick Reed. <sighs> I want you though rise above the junk and tell me about. Patrick Reed's golf game. He missed the cut this mm. week, lost in a playoff yeah. last week. Is Patrick Reed's golf game currently overrated, underrated, underrated, or properly underrated? Rated? Because the time when the lights were brightest at the President's Cup, when everyone was mad at him about his cheating incident, people were saying, you know, all eyes were on him, and Webb Simpson was paired with him, and they sucked. As a duo, they stunk it up in the President's Cup. They didn't get even a single tie. Patrick Reed played pretty poorly. That's when everyone in the golf world was like most caring about him. But going into that event, he was playing great golf. And since that event, he's played pretty great golf. He should have won. You could you can make the argument the first tournament of the decade. So he, I mean, you just kind of look at who he's number twelve in the world right now. That's almost as high as he's ever been. He does everything pretty well. He's one of the best chippers on tour. He's a great chipper. He's really good at pitching. When he gets hot like anyone, the putter wins some golf tournaments. Pretty good ball striker. Solid win player. He's a very, very good golfer. He's going to remain probably, you would argue, for the next 15 years as one of the 30 best golfers on the planet. Mm -hmm. And he's going to pick off basically a win every single year. I mean, he's won seven times on the PGA Tour. He's the 12th ranked golfer in the world. These are some of the people ranked behind him. Adam Scott, Gary Woodland, Tony Finau, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Ricky Fowler's way behind him. Patrick Reed is very, very good. All this sense that, you know, people yelling at him and fans heckling him is somehow going to affect him negatively Mm -hmm. does not seem to be the case. He's been very, very good, arguably as hot as just about anyone besides like Justin Thomas. Seven wins in seven years. The last seven years, he has seven victories. Wow. Not a lot of people win at that consistency rate. Like he's not picking three off in a year like Dustin Johnson would, but he's winning once a year. Like he'll have his his doldrums where he kind of struggles, but then he'll randomly win the Northern Trust like he did last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and since then, I think he's only finished outside the top 20 a couple times. He's had a bunch of times in contention. I don't know. We could be seeing another resurgent Patrick Reed. Has not. Well, he missed a cut this weekend. His first missed cut since May. Yeah. Very, very, very underrated golfer because everyone cares about his ethics. That's it for the drop zone today. Uh, Real quick shout out to our coworker, Dave Brunvasser, who had his first child over the weekend. Jacob Benjamin Brunvasser. I love it. 
Shout out to the Broomvossers. They have a nine pound baby on their hands. Big boy, Jacob Benjamin. That's it for the drop zone today. For Dylan, I'm Sean. We'll see you back here in one week.